Welcome to the American Warrior Festival Podcast, a celebration of our troops, veterans, and American way of life. I'm your host, Dan Clore. The American Warrior Festival Podcast brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Western New York's premier dining experience, known for its amazing prime rib and dedication to the veteran community. Visit them online at theredosier.com. Hey friends, welcome to episode nine of the American Warrior Festival podcast. This is our first video, our first venture into uh, video podcasting. So you see our fancy little uh, studio all set up by our amazing set designer, Christine. And we have a very special guest here today, Marine Corps veteran and Hollywood actor here, Tim Colseri. Most of you will remember him as the door gunner in Full Metal Jacket. How's it going, brother? Oorah. Oorah. <laughs> good to All see right. you, Don. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's been a couple of years, I guess. Last time I saw you was the Marine Corps ball uh, two years ago. Yeah. You, you know what's interesting? Do you remember I did a little stand-up routine there that night? How could remember? I forget? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've done eight shows since then. A one-man show. Uh, like, like your, your business no longer be able to play in front of a large group. Neither can I. So I had to stop during the pandemic, but, uh, yeah, I, I, that was the, the first time I had a taste of it from you guys. And then I went out and did like, uh, eight shows. Oh man. You knocked it out of the park that night. Had everyone rolling. Uh, oh, this, it got, it got, you know, I did about a year of rehearsing after I saw you and have a pretty good, uh, I come out doing full metal jacket drill instructor, uh, Sergeant Hartman, and then I do my drill instructor in Weeds, and I do a bunch of stand-up comedy about when I was a kid with my mom. And I do about five Marine Corps stories. Then I do a story about my experience of trying to get back to the base by 0700, and that's a pretty <laughs> amazing story. The guy has the guy it didn't have a top on his car, and I had to hitchhike back to the base. And if I didn't get back, I was going to lose my stripe. I was up for promotion. I was going to lose that, and I was going to go to the brig. They Ooh. gave me those three. So I knew it was important. And this was us based at El Toro, and El Toro was 362 miles from, from the base was Phoenix, Arizona, my hometown. So if you go on leave, you're only allowed to go 300 miles. Well, I didn't think that 62 miles would be that big a deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and man. all of a sudden, I'm in trouble, right? And they had the controller strike, first time in aviation history, they, cut, they shut down every airport. So I was trying to get back to the base, and my car broke down on the way back. And I had to hitch a ride with this guy. And it was so cold, he didn't have a top on his car. And he gave me his jacket because I was freezing. And after about 40 miles, he pulled the car over and said, I got to get my jacket back. I'm freezing my ass off. But if you can get down there where your feet are, I got a toggle top I can put over the top of you. You won't be comfortable, but you won't be cold. So I crawled underneath where my feet were and crawled underneath this toggle top. And I a few miles down the road, a few raindrops started to hit. I go, oh my God, it's going to rain. Next thing I know, the, the guy perfect storm, right? Yeah, the, the guy falls asleep at the wheel. We go over a cliff into a canal, and I get 36 stitches in my head oh, and a really screwed up knee. And I, and I said, are you on drugs? He said, no, man, I fell asleep at the wheel. And I looked up, and he just went right over into a canal. So now we're floating on this. We're, we're kind of sinking in the canal. And I jumped over like a boat now to the side and crawled up the 100 feet where we went. Never saw the guy again. I started hitchhiking. And they were leaving, I look like swamp things. So they were leaving from this lane to go to that lane to get away from me. And I finally, 
finally, I went in front of a guy. He didn't. He stopped. And he didn't hit me, and I jumped in the car. He said, "Are you okay?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, I'm all right. I got to get back to the base by 0700. I'm going to the brig." He goes, "I'm late for work. I can get you to the ramp." So he got me to the ramp, and it's about a mile from the ramp to the you know the MP that brings everybody in. And I'm limping, I'm coming, and I'm, I'm bleeding, and I'm limping, and I'm coming. Like, after the CMP, the they looked at me, and he blew his whistle, beep, beep, beep. He stopped everybody, and looked at me, and he waved me in, and he saluted me, and went, what the hell happened to you, Marine? And I said, oh, what a night. And I signed in at 0658. And when I get done telling that story, and I, and I told, that's the fastest I've ever, ever told it, by the way. It, oh. They clap, they clap when I get done with it. It's a funny story. So you, then I go into the Marine Corps about, you know, uh, uh, or sending it, getting a brand of flight attendant. You remember, did you know that was a brand of flight attendant? No, actually, funny. wait, did you, you <laughs> talked about that, I think, at the, the birthday party. Oh, yeah, there. I did the gay flight attendant thing. Oh, <laughs> yep. We have to yeah, do that. Funny. But, yeah, and in my show, I actually moon I mooned the audience. Like I mooned a girl when she was doing her demos. And then I get based in LA and I, and I didn't want to be an actor. And then uh, the guy told me to, you know, go to his acting class and I've been pretty much doing it ever since. And I, I tell a couple of stories of failing. And then I tell the story about sending the tape to Stanley Kubrick. And, you know, three years later, they cast me a thousand of the tapes to play the drill instructor. And that story takes about 30 minutes to go from A to Z to, to what I went through. And then some serious stuff at the end. And it's a 90 minute show. It's a long show. Wow. So, yeah. So what, what was it called? Uh, what was the name of the, the show? Was Stanley Kubrick uh, or Goodnight Stanley Kubrick, wherever you are? Or oh, you know what? That's, that's right. We were going to start that. That's right. That's where it all kind of came from. Okay. But no, it ended, it ended up being called the Get Some Tour. That's what it's called. Oh, okay. It? Yeah. The yeah. Some, yeah, the Get Some Tour. And uh, I, I'm planning on shooting the next one for Netflix. And uh, then I'm going to do one live and then intermingle the, you know, the best takes. That's the thing different. I've done like 60 films and I've always, they say cut, we do it again until we get it oh, right. So you're, wait, you're so doing you, a so one you, man show. You got one shot at it. Sure. So, so this is going to get picked up by Netflix? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to. I, I think that it's, it's not very many military comedians out there that have entertainment of stories that, that I've come up with. And I'm telling you, the women like my show. My show is interesting. I didn't see anybody heckling me and nobody's leaving. And it, it, it's got some good and bad. It, it makes you think, makes you laugh. I have a lot of comedy in it. And I look forward to doing it again. But, you know, I'm getting kind of old. I don't know if I'm going to travel around the world doing my one-man show. So I would figure if I do it with Netflix, get it done with, and then it's done. Yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. Now, are you uh, still in Vegas or? No, I'm in L.A. right now. Wait, you, you are in L.A.? Yeah. Man, right now I, I am. I should have asked you that question. You could have came down here to Newport Beach and hung out with me right here. Oh, I didn't know you were here. That's I, funny. I'm, I'm yeah. like, I'm in Tustin. I'm not right down the street. Oh shit, Don, he's in Tustin right now. I didn't even know that. <laughs> well, get in your car, man. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. What the hell? Oh, well, you know we can what? Do another one of these. This doesn't have to be the only one. Yeah, this doesn't have to be the only one. See, man, we could have we could have just had you in studio. <laughs> Dude, that's a crazy that's a crazy echo right there, Don. That caused a bunch of stuff. I don't know what you did there. So anyway, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I've got a couple of screenplays that are being looked at. One called The Birth of Pride about my Marine Corps 
that's what got me Full Metal Jacket, you know, that, that screenplay. And during this pandemic, uh, you know, I was a writer, but I didn't know it had to be in the proper form. So they have this thing called Final Draft Pro. It tells you, you know, exterior, Don's house, daytime. And it has space, dash, dash, day, dash, dash. And if you have one of those dashes off, the readers won't read it. So I thought, wow, I better put it in that form. And I did that for two screenplays. One called The Birth of Pride is uh, my Marine Corps movie, uh, which is, doesn't need any rewrites. The other one's called, it was called Marry Me and Fly for Free, of my experience as being a flight attendant. And now it's called Buckle Up. And uh, it's a true story about two male flight attendants in the early, you know, early 80s when it was fun to fly. And the one guy actually died at 32. He was running cocaine. He would buy pontoon planes into Cuba and get the really? cocaine and have his wife run it. Yeah. And my character falls in love with a uh, girl he meets on a layover, but she thinks she's a flight attendant. And it turns out she's a co-pilot. And she's been trying to tell him, and all of a sudden he gets in the, he can't get on the plane unless he gets in the jump seat in the cockpit. And there she is flying the plane, and they look at each other, and it's a cute ending love story. Nice, man. So, so, and they're looking at I got some pretty big people who are looking at one hand. I got too much to talk about, don't I? Hey, <laughs> you don't have to even interview. <laughs> no, no. So, so go back to the what was that the uh, the gay flight attendant bit? What was that about? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's get into uh, that. Okay, well, well. When I when I come back after uh, after my I, I used to have an intermission and I found them in Vegas. They don't want you to have an intermission. They want the ninety minutes so they can get right back and gamble. So I had to cut out my intermission. But after my intermission of limping off the stage from that car accident, I limped back on and 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 I go. Uh, yeah, I did go to Vietnam. Spent thirteen months in Da Nang and I was limping down to the park and I see this guy coming towards me. He's dragging his left foot. And I looked at him and I went, yeah, yeah, Da Nang, Vietnam, 1969. And he, he looked at his foot, he went, dog shit, about a block down the road, right? <laughs> so then I come across this old man crying his eyes out. I go, oh man, you all right? No, I'm not all right, do I look all right? Oh, you don't look so good, what's wrong? I'm 80 years old, I got a 35 year old wife. Oh, she's fucking hot. And as soon as I get home, all she wants to do is have sex, sex, sex. Every day, as soon as I get home, it's sex. I go, what's wrong with that? I, I can't remember where I live. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are kind of jokes for old people, by the way. You got you to make sure you your jokes. <laughs> so, so I turn around and I go, you know, I, as a Marine, uh, a pro golfer. Now, what am I going to do with my life? Maybe I'll become a flight. No, I go. Maybe I'll become a pilot. No, I go. Maybe I'll become a a policeman. No, a fireman. I know what I'll become. And I run around the corner. I put my brand up jacket on. And I come back in and I go, a flight attendant. <laughs> and I go, can you imagine me becoming a flight attendant? In fact, I think I'm the only Marine who ever became a flight attendant. I guarantee you, they weren't looking for a few good men when they hired me. How long did you do that? The, How long did you do that gig for? Uh, I did that for uh, ran up a year and a half when I flew Hong Kong, Singapore, Seoul, and Guam. And then uh, when I got into acting, I quit and started, you know, taking acting lessons and trying to get a job as an actor. And I needed a, a job, so I got on with an airline called Hawaii Express. I flew from LAX to Hawaii, an hour layover, and flew right back. And I only had to fly seven days a month. But you're on, you're in the air like all day, so you're you're pretty beat. 
but I never missed a day of my auditioning. And it's fun. People fly over to Hawaii. They're so excited. When you pick them up nine days later, they're all sunburned and sleep all the way home. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good times there. That was a good gig. So, so anyway, when I did the gay thing, it was, I looked over to the right, and the guy was going, we have two doors each in the aircraft and wind directs the silver each wing. The safe information card is located in the seat pocket in front of you. Coke seven up, would you like a pillow? I made sure they didn't think I was like that. I went, all right, listen up, maggots. We got two doors each in the aircraft and one direction over each wing. Jack and Coke, Bloody Mary, any of you pussies want a pillow? What are you looking at, lady? <laughs> That's right, I'm a man. So how, uh, how'd they like that as a flight attendant? Any of you uh, pussies need a pillow? Yeah, I, I didn't talk like that. I was, <laughs> I was, that's, just, that's just for my comedy. How cool would that be, though? Well, it was we a found fun an airline job, to let you speak like that. Well, yeah, it would be fun. We, well, they have a restaurant in uh, Vegas. It's called Dicks, and they treat you like a dick. You know, what do you want, asshole? You know, what do you want to eat, dick? They talk to you like that, and it's kind of funny, except the fact the food sucks. I didn't mind them being mean to me. I just didn't. Uh, the food wasn't that great. Yeah, if you're going to be an asshole, at least feed me some yeah, good food. Yeah, it's getting good chow. So, uh, now, you were a drill instructor on weeds as well? Yeah. So how, how'd that gig go? Oh, wow, it was great. Uh, you know, after having that drill instructor in Full Metal Jacket for so long, I really wanted to get that off my mind. And they were auditioning every guy in L.A. from 19 years old to 70. Anybody that looked military, they were bringing them in. And they got down to 20 guys on a callback. And five of them were like WWF wrestlers, you know, the big guys. And I'd hear them yelling. They were yelling, and they were big and bad, but they didn't have the rhythm that a drill instructor has, you know. Right. That certain rhythm. And I knew it. And I was like number 17 to go in. And after I did my dial their dialogue, I threw in a couple of my Marine Corps drill dialogues. So this is the dialogue. It's great. Listen, this is great. All right, listen up. Sorry, it's my sorry-ass job to inform you, ass Felton. Salad sauce and oh, gasoline packets. But that bugly face you're staring at right now is one of the most important goddamn faces you ever lay your eyes upon. That is your battle buddy. Your battle buddy's <laughs> like a Siamese twin. He shits, you shit. He fucks up, you fuck up. He goes, tired, you go down. Six weeks from today, this entire group of Girl Scouts will be shipped over to Iraq. Make no mistake about it. I will rape each and every one of you before you will go. So you best pay perfect attention to every goddamn word comes out of my goddamn mouth. That's a long line. Then the guy comes up and goes, excuse me, Sergeant Phil Cole. I go, who in the hell gave you permission to break rank on my formation, you flaccid little dick? And they told me I was going to get a desk job. They tell everybody you're going to get a desk job, you useless twat. Yeah, but I have eight toes. I got four dicks. You better fall back in line before you use one to fuck up the ass. Now move out. <laughs> Might win. <laughs> nice. Good, good family. Good family content. I love it, man. Actually, very funny. You know, it's funny. It was an over-the-top show, and it was for the Army. And I played it like a Marine drill instructor, and it was perfect for what they were looking for. No, funny? That, that's awesome, man. Now, let's go backwards a little bit. Um, let's talk about your, you know, service in, in Vietnam and joining the Marine Corps. And kind all right. Of how that I all was, played um, out. Well, I'm getting old, so if we want to know how old I am, I'm 69, so it's getting old. Ah, you're looking great, I, man. Well, not for 69. I'm all right. I don't look that old. But in 1969, I turned 18. And at that time, you were forced by the government. There was no, you had to sign up for the, for the 
for the draft. Well, they had a draft, but it was you had to sign up for the service. So I wanted to go down and get my buddy was in the Navy, and he was a year ahead of me, and he went through the Navy, and he got in the Navy for two years. And I saw what it did to him, and I figured I can do anything for two years. I'm going to go down to join the Navy. So I went down to join the Navy, and I took this test, and the, I got done taking the test, and the guy says, okay, son, when do you want to start your four-year enlistment? I said, well, I want to join for two. So that's the Army, that's the Army and the Marines, there's two, the Navy and the Marines, and the Air Force is four years. I said, my best friend's in the Navy, he's in for two years. He said, well, he must have plunked the test. I said, I'll plunk the test too. He said, you just, he said, you just passed the test. What would it be, son? I looked at my dad, I looked at this guy, and I wasn't prepared to go for four years. I wanted, I wanted to get the two years in and get it out. So I walked out, I looked at the poster, four years Navy, big carrier in the ocean. Next one was a jet flying through the sky, Air Force, four years. Next one, this guy had fatigues in the ground, and you know, with a weapon in like the jungle, Army, two years. Next one was a guy in fatigues in the jungle, but he had all this green stuff around his face. You could barely see his eyes. Marines. I said, you know what? I'm going to need that camouflage. I'm going to have to, I'm going to be on the ground. I'm going to need that paint. And I walked in the room and the guy said, what can I do for you? I said, I'm here to take the test. He said, what test? I said, the test to join. He picked up a pen. He goes, what's that? I said, a pen. He goes, you passed. Sign here. <laughs> and I'm in the Marines. <laughs> and, and, and that's how it rolled out, man. That's how well, I got in the Marine Corps. I wasn't thinking, oh boy, I want to wait and go kill people. I wasn't one of those guys. Sure. But, you know, I, I uh, went in 124 pounds in boot camp. I was a house mouse. Wow. Uh, I was a, I was a fifth out of all the physical stuff I could run and push up and all that. I broke the Marine Corps sit-up record. Uh, I have a, the screenplay of the Birth of Pride has a lot to do with what I went through in boot camp. When I got off the plane, flying for the first time I've ever been in a plane to go to boot camp, uh, I had a St. Christopher's medal and a shaving kit. And as soon as I got off the plane, the drone started, I said, what the hell is that? Shaving kit, sir. My father gave it to me. He took the shaving kit and threw it. And then he looked at me and he went, I'm your father, I'm your mother. And he reached up and took that St. Christmas medal, ripped it off my chest. He went, I am God. <laughs> you get out there and you stand in the tent, you come get when the bus comes. And I couldn't believe wherever I was going, I knew it was going to be bad. Ironically, which is interesting, when I was in boot camp, 19, July 20th, 1969, a historical moment. And we were called to go to bed, lights out, hatches closed. Lights out, hatches closed. I, I start, good night, girls. Five minutes later, lights came back on. Everybody on the road, quickly move. Not, not with packing gear or anything. It was white skibbies and dog tags. And we were like half naked running out to the parade deck. And he went prayer position, and we all got down on our knees and our hands out folded like this. And he went, today is a historical day for today, and Marina set forth on the moon. Repeat after me. God bless Neil Armstrong. May he have a safe return home. We all went like this. Sir, God bless Neil Armstrong. May he have a safe return home. All right, sir. Good night, girl. It's this much of my screenplay. It's such a beautiful scene. Because you light it right, you know, our little bald heads. You can yeah, make yeah. those little, ha little halos on there on the lighting. It's a cool <laughs> scene. And that's where I was in 1969. And then uh, my MOS came back. You know, you take all those tests to see what you're good at. And uh, I happened to be good at seeing that, that need, I didn't need a level to see measurements. I, I thought everybody had that talent. What will fit in that box? So I ended up being a packaging technician. They sent me to Albany, Georgia to learn how to make styrofoam and, you know, desiccant, desiccants that 
stuff in the um, when you have a camera or a lens that says do not eat. Well, when we packed stuff, we'd have like a big square of it, Jessica. And we had to, I had to pack computers. I got to talk to a four-star general. And my MOS was only 22 of us in the whole MOS. So I had a lot of power, even though I was the last corporal. Then I became a corporal E4. And I got out on my 20th birthday. I spent 13 months in Da Nang, Vietnam. And I got out on my 13th birthday. They offered me 10,000 bucks in sergeant. And I went, bye-bye. I'm going to college and moving on. Yeah, we're, do we're done here, right? You, how, how long total? You, the, two years, two years. the two-year yeah, enlistment, two yeah. That was great, man. Getting it in and getting over with. But I did spend the full 13 months in Da Nang, which a lot of guys were getting out a lot earlier than me. You know, that yeah. pissed me off. How did that, how'd that but, work out? How'd they get out early? They were shitbirds. They, they didn't want them there. <laughs> so I told my, I said, my captain, I said, look, that makes me want to be a shitbird so I can go home. They're <laughs> not going until I go. And that's why I had to wait until the very end. Whatever. You know, it was, uh, Every day was a Monday there. It was like, it, it was just, uh, I didn't like it there at all. <laughs> no, I'm sure, man. No, I couldn't wait. I can remember we got in the Freedom Bird to come home, and we were flying out of Da Nang and full, full of Marines. Hang on. Go ahead, pick it up, man. <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff. Yes, I'm a, I am uh, on a podcast right now live. You're on it with me now. <laughs> he goes, you want to tell stories? Oh, that's why you can't hear because I got my iPods on. Uh, let, let me call you back. We're in the middle of a, a, a thing. Are you going to be around? I'll be around. Okay, I'll call you right back. Bye. Um, that guy, I have an end. There's a movie coming out called, Ant I don't know if I should talk about this. Maybe I better not. You want to break the, news, break the news here? No, no, no. It's It's not a... <laughs> It's just, it's not official yet, you know, and I'm not, uh, allowed, to, yeah, right. I, I'm not allowed to be, but anyway, I got a couple of things I'm working on. So, uh, one of them is, uh, Michael Bay's got a film coming up. He's a pretty big director. And there's also a thing in, uh, West Virginia. I just read for, uh, Michael Keaton is in it and it's called, um, Dope Sick. It's about, uh, the Oxycontin. Really? I have to play like a real rich. Uh, wealthy asshole, and it's kind of it's kind of weird because I'm yelling all the time, and this guy doesn't yell, and he just speaks nothing like I've ever spoken. So it was really difficult to memorize the dialogue, the way so, he talks, every every word. Do you get approached a lot for a lot of those roles where you have to yell and be pretty intense, probably, right? You I mean, know, I, it's just, one of those things. I just looked at my I looked at my demo tape the other day. I'm good at yelling. And I'm good at that intensity, but you don't see the comedy. I, I could do comedy. I don't get a chance. And I don't get romantic roles at all. No? <laughs> but uh, no, I've, I've had a few, but not very many. I remember them the most. But I like what I did in this character. I, I don't know if I'm old enough to play the guy, but it's a real guy. He, he was a, a founder of a, of a company, Purdue Pharmaceuticals or something. If you look him up, uh, Mortimer. Sackler is his name. Um, and that's the role that I've been reading for. So I'm hoping that I probably did a good job. We'll see what happens. Uh, I just sent that out yesterday. So that's so, what I mean. I mean, I'm in LA and I'm trying to work out and get a new management. I'm trying to do my one man show. I got a couple of screenplays out there. I'm keeping pretty busy actually without, but I 
I can't do anything until this pandemic thing's over with, except audition like this, which is good. I like that. You don't have to drive anywhere. Oh, so you're doing a lot of Zoom. Everyone's doing the yeah, Zoom auditions. Yeah, like that's what they're doing. But they're starting, they're starting to come back. Okay. To come back, but I can't do it like you. You can't play your music right now. Oh it's yeah. Hard. It's, I can't do my one man show. So you know, it's screwed up, man. I can't wait for this whole thing to end. Yeah, you're telling me, man. We lost uh, a whole year of events, and well, I, I guess the silver lining is we started the podcast and worked on organizing some things and getting ready right. for for next year. We're going to be doing a bunch of uh, events at firing ranges and getting into some like battlefield events. Hopefully like we had Gettysburg on the calendar. We're going to start wow. doing like Pearl Harbor, Gettysburg, start doing battlefield themed concerts. Um, we're still, How long, is, this, is this the ninth one you've done? I think I heard yeah. you say ninth. Yep. This, oh. this is number nine and it's our first, our first video one. So wow, it's been, uh, it's been pretty cool. We had a little casualty here, this little lamp that broke, but uh, you know, adapt and overcome. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what, so, I thought you were back east. When did you come back? I to I am. I've actually been uh, going back and forth, uh, traveling back from New York to uh, out here in SoCal. So I'm out wow. here. Yeah. So we we got to get together and hang out, have some beers. I'm here for like another month. Me too. Perfect. Okay. All right. Perfect. So, yeah, because you're you're bouncing back and forth between Vegas and L.A. Yeah, right. in South Carolina. I've been back there. That's where my agent is now, and uh, I was teaching kids actually back there for about a month. Oh, you still doing the acting classes? Yeah, well, it's weird because you can only teach uh, like eight of them, and they had to watch, eh, you know, whatever. I don't like teaching through this. I can teach one-on-one -on -one acting on the Zoom, but trying to teach an improv class or a bunch of kids all at once, I'm better being on hands-on. Yeah. You know, right there in the room with them. And teaching little six-year-old boys, they bounce off the wall. You know what I do? I make them stand at attention. And I say at ease. <laughs> and you see these little six-year-old kids, little girls, like, stand at attention. Don't look at me. Don't be itching. Don't be looking at me. You know, and they're trying so hard. And the parents are going, this is wonderful. I should use this at home. <laughs> Some discipline here with these little ones. Oh, huh? God, it's really, it's really fun to watch. Fun how, to watch. Do, how do they do? Are they able to kind of keep the ants out of the pants there? With... You know, the way I look at it, uh, every one of those classes are, are fun and happy and you learn a lot about their personalities and they, they learn to open up. It's, it's like a therapy thing for them. Even if they don't ever become actors, that right. class should, should be taken by every person in the world. I never used algebra, I don't think, once in my life. I'm using these listening skills and creative skills every day. And so yeah. are the kids. And some of them are very talented, a lot of fun. Uh, we do so many different ones. One's called Story Story. I put four actors on stage and I point to one. And he says, once upon a time, and he starts telling the story, and I point to somebody else, they have to continue the story. And everything in my class is yes. I don't hear the no or negative or won't, can't, don't. I stop you. Everything is yes. Everything's in a positive way. There's one where you're on stage and somebody else is your voice. When they talk, you move your mouth. Teaches you how to listen. Oh, that's cool. They're, they're, they're fun drills that everybody can do, six years old or 100. And I teach adults, too, and they have more fun doing the class than the kids. So... And I thought about doing that for corporate. It, it, you think about that, when to talk, when not to talk, how to listen, how to create. Those are sales skills, big time. Oh, absolutely. That can transfer yeah. into many different aspects of life. You know, yeah. When, to, when so, to talk and when to shut up and listen, right? I mean, it's... Yep. I so, feel like I do a lot of talking. 
So let, let's talk about, you know, your, uh, your most famous role, if you'd like. Why don't you go ahead and kick okay. it off and get, give us your, uh, your tagline, man. To get some? You want me to do that now? Hell yeah. We don't have to do the okay. monologue right now if you don't want, but. I'll give you a little. Get some. Get some. Get some. I got you, brother. <laughs> get some. Get some. <laughs> Anyone who runs is a BC. Anyone who stands still is a well business BC. <laughs> well, you boys ought to do a story about me sometime. Why should do a story about you? Because I'm so fucking good. And that ain't no <laughs> shit neither. I've done got me 157 dead goose killed and 50 water buffaloes too. Then we're all certified. Any women or children sometimes? How can you shoot women or children? Easy. You just don't lead them so much. <laughs> ain't war hell. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> oh, man. Classic. Classic. <laughs> Some of the uh, some of the guys when when they knew you were going to be on, they said, you know, you have to bring Tim on just because he's so fucking good, right? So well, what happened with with that story? Kind of uh, this is a long version, I guess. Um, I had just started acting. I did about three or four national commercials. I think two films, and I sent a tape to Stanley Kubrick. He was casting by by tapes. And uh, Ed got me a drill instructor hat. I got a real guy right out of boot camp. And I started yelling at him. And he wasn't an actor. And he started laughing. And I said, you think it's fucking funny? And I started smacking him around and yelling at him some more and sent the tape off. And three years later, I got a phone call from Warner Brothers saying that Stanley was interested in me and this other guy. So I knew he was in for four years. So he just got out of boot camp. And it was three years later. So I knew he, he had another year in. I knew the Marine Corps was not going to let him go do film. I knew they wouldn't. So I thought I wasn't going to get hired because they wanted to hire us. Well, they found him three days later, and they said, we found him, and he's on leave in Hermosa Beach. We want you to direct him through these three scenes and send him back to us. I went to this kid. I hadn't seen him in three years. I said, I told you they might want to use you, too. Didn't I tell you? No, but he couldn't act. And he had to do that dialogue, dialogue which was like, this is my rifle. They may like it, but this one's mine. And he, he just didn't do very well. He wasn't an actor. And I only went, I can hear you. A couple of those and set the tape off. Three days later, I got a phone call from Warner Brothers. Oh, Tim, this is uh, President Warner Brothers. Tim, I have a tremendous amount of faith in Stanley Kubrick. Tim, Stanley Kubrick has a tremendous amount of faith in Tim Colstery. And I took the phone and screamed out the door, Stanley Kubrick has a tremendous amount of faith in me. <laughs> yes, sir, come on down and sign your contract. I went down and signed my contract, eight-week contract. He says, you have the finest role in the film. You play the role of the drill instructor. I went out to the elevator, didn't take the elevator, I took the stairs. I sat in the first stair and opened up, and my character didn't stop talking for 60 pages. I thought, oh, my gosh, how did I get this role? I had that role for eight months, rehearsing it. They did the Vietnam scenes. They flew me to London. I got off in eight-degree weather. They put me in a hotel. They didn't want me since I was a drill instructor. They didn't want anybody to get used to knowing me so I wouldn't be, I'd be more intimidating if they didn't know my personality. So they kind of put me away from the crew and everybody. And I spent three days in a hotel and he said, so they got the plane and said, learn pages one through 28 by tomorrow morning. Driver will pick you up at seven. Went right to the hotel room. And that dialogue is yelling dialogue and there's nobody in the hotel. So I'm yelling at nobody or I'm trying not to yell. And the maids are looking at me thinking I'm crazy because I'm in there yelling at nobody. 
I did that the next day. He put me on tape. Three days later, Stanley wanted to meet me. I met Stanley and said, if you want a thousand tapes, I'm prepared to give you a thousand and one. He said, don't believe all that propaganda. Is everything all right? I said, well, I am, you know, staying in this hotel and I'm yelling at these maids and looking at me like I'm weird. He turned to his right and went, find him another place to live. And that night after I got off to work, he had three, she had three places for me to check out. The first place I looked at, I was so tired. Had some leather, manly looking furniture. I said, I'll take it. He said, Michael Bean lives right above you and his wife and two kids. I didn't know who Michael Bean was. Turns out, you know, uh, met him a week later. We've been best friends ever since. He was starring in Aliens, played Johnny Ringo in Tombstone. And uh, we went, we'd be met that night or that weekend and just been best friends ever since. Anyway, so I ended up uh, having that role, rehearsing that role. And Michael recently was on, um, he was in Vegas doing a, 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 a signing. And he said, I got an extra day there. I want to stay with, let's, let's, you know, hang out. We started hanging out. When, I got, when he got back to L.A., he wanted to tell everybody what he saw that I went through with Stanley Kubrick. And he wrote an article called Full Metal Straightjacket. And he, oh, he didn't man. like the way he handled me. And then I was rehearsing all the time with him. I, I knew I was going to be good at that role if I got a chance. And um, after that, the Hollywood Reporter did an article on me that's up for an award right now. And I don't know if you've seen the uh, thing on YouTube. It's called Cinema Tyler, a tortured actor. It has a film clips of everything I went through with, uh, with Stanley. So I, I don't have to tell the story anymore. Finally, people can go watch this thing pretty accurate but, it, but what basically what happened was i had the role for three months lee ermy was yelling at extras i started adding a lot of that great dialogue they liked it stanley didn't know what to do he had two starting quarterbacks he sent me a letter saying i'm going to use lee could you stay on and play the door gunner role and it crushed me and uh because i had that role for so long. i also felt like i lost my group my men you know i lost right. my role I, I was just it was it just hurt me but I loved the door gunner role. I really did. I just wish it would have started out that way because the, the door gunner role was a good role, but the other role was a big role. It would have been a name role forever and ever. And that was my role for a long time. So after they took the role away from me, three days after filming him, he hit a tree, almost died, was in a car accident. It was four and a half hours in, underneath his car. They called me and said, don't go anywhere. You had a bad accident. You're going to be the drill instructor. Once again, I got up to roll back. A week went by, the insurance company said, you're gonna start with him, you're gonna finish with him. They shut down production until he healed. In that seven month period of him healing, they decided to call my agent and say, they're thinking about cutting off the door gonna roll. Uh, but they didn't tell me. Next week, 100% sure we've cut the door gonna roll out, tell Tim we're really sorry. Now I'm not even in the movie. I went from best role to a great role to no role. And now I don't know what to do. So I get a lawyer and say, you know, they cut my hair off to play a drill instructor for two years. I used to do commercials, but now I wasn't able to do them because my hair was always short. And I didn't know what that was going to do. But then I got a letter from Stanley saying, my lawyer said, well, litigation, I should not communicate with you whatsoever. But I want to let you know that it's not unusual to lose your role to another actor or have your role cut out of a film. The work you've done is excellent. I, you know, I can use you in future films if it's a role suitable. I'm sorry this happened. Sincerely, Stanley Kubrick. And I kind of went, <clears throat> doesn't do me any good. Right. And then about, I think it was eight months later, they decided to put the door on a roll. Bruce Willis, 
and Val Kilmer were also up for that role, and they offered it back to me. And uh, I got on the phone. I said, you give me this role back because I'm suing you? That Tim would cost $60,000 a day just to rent the helicopter. Not worried about you suing him. Went okay. And I went over to London, memorized the other two guys. They shot them on a ground. So they weren't even in the helicopter when I was filming. And I had this practice dialogue timing with people not even talking to me, doing my dialogue. And I did that for a week. And then the day before I shot, Stanley asked me to do my dialogue. And he, he looked at the casting director and went, you gave him the wrong dialogue to memorize? I thought, you got to be kidding me. I spent a whole week, and now you give me the wrong stuff? Are you trying to make me crazy to play the crazy door gunner? <laughs> Is that what you're trying to do? That's what I thought. And then I went to, uh, he said, come over here to his room. And he started typing that, he typed that dialogue in 30 seconds. He said, here, what was that line? He said, dead good skill. I like that line. Dead good skill. I right, here, hold this. I'll be there tomorrow at 11. You get up in the helicopter and shoot it. Get used to the weapon, and uh, it's 278 miles from here in Norfolk, England. Got in the car, we drove all the way up to Norfolk, England. Got out, started doing my scene. He wasn't around. I did it laughing, an enjoyment of what I was doing. First directorial words he came to me was, Tim, he looked at it on tape. This angle's still off. Tim, don't laugh like that anymore. I don't like this angle, I have the other angle. I don't laugh like that anymore. Give me an everyday killer smile. And I thought, I walked around the helicopter thinking, what does that mean? Just because I was a Marine, went to Vietnam, I know what a killer smile is. And I said that to Stanley, and he goes, don't worry about it. Just shoot the weapon. So I went up and I started shooting the weapon, and I went to the cameraman, I want to talk. And I did it without smiling. I mean, just a little smile, no laugh. And I jumped back out, and I took Stanley by the neck. Stanley, I'm almost 99% sure I did exactly what you wanted me to do. And he looked at Leon, and Leon went, and then he looked at the monitor, and he went, this angle's still up. Good, Tim. This angle's still up. Good, Tim. Go up and do it 13 more times just like that. So I wow. did it 13 more times like that. I said, the last thing, the sun was going down, I shot the – they were real Vietnamese running, and I shot them. Only took three takes. Couldn't wait to get back to the hotel and pass out. No, we had to drive back to, L to London, make sure the film was good. It, barely, I, I was nodding out all the way. Went back to L.A. for a year. Movie got edited. Trailer came out. Everybody's going, trailer, full metal jacket came out. And you're all in the trailer. I'm in the trailer? That means I made it in the movie. I'm in the movie. I'm in the trailer. And uh, then they, I went to see the, the premiere with Michael. I got a phone call from Warner Brothers telling me uh, they showed the film last night to 300 Vietnam vets. And they all come out talking about that dog on her. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I I tell you what, I everyone you. Remem remembers that scene. You know, you say that the, the, the get some scene, and everyone recalls it. They they can even I'm recite hating. the lines back. I know. You know, it, it's really it, to be a Pretty part amazing. of something that iconic is got got to feel good. Oh, I, I wish I had one more of those in my life. <laughs> Just hey, one man, more. Keep <laughs> keep it going, right? Keep it going. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, what was like some of the most interesting things or, uh, you know, the best part about working with Stanley Kubrick? What do you think were, you uh, know, his well, biggest he, strengths? Well, he has a lot. First of all, his, his lighting in every movie, if you're watching, is just brilliant lighting. Yeah. And that's because before he was a director, he was a photographer. So he knows lighting. He knows framework. He knows lenses real well. 
And I like the way he, he he works with his actors. He gets them to perform better than anybody else. He, but he's, he's one of the few, if you notice, the great movies are written and directed by the same person. Because if the writer writes it, you have to direct it, you might get a different vision than the writer does. Stanley writes almost all his material and directs it and produces it. He buys his own props, then he sells them back. So he's in complete control of his of his work. And that's half the battle. He has nobody, even when Warner Brothers executives came in, he put yellow tape around everything and didn't even do any work until he left. That's the wow. way he was. When he walked into a room, I didn't know whether my feet were up on a chair. I felt like I should put my feet down or I felt like I shouldn't be too casual, you know. Right. But when I got when I got to talk and do him at his house, I got to be at his house. How many actors get to hang around and drink wine with Stanley Kubrick, which I did. And it was a trip. It was so surreal. And he said, Tim, you have more energy than Kirk Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> he, worked, he worked with him in Paths of Glory and Spartacus, you know. And so, um, yeah, you know, I thought he was a real nice guy, like a guy guy, just a nice guy, but intense and uh, particular what he wants. And I also think that he made the right decision by keeping my laughs in there when he wasn't even on the set. So he's a good enough general or, you know, leader or director to say, hey, you know what? Maybe my way didn't work. This over here in this corner here that I didn't even see him do, it might work. And guess what? It did work. That little so scene became very memorable. He gave, he gave you guys some freedom to kind of improv, right? And well, he, he, did, he, he, he didn't. He, he didn't. He never gave me a chance to improv. In fact, my best work was when he wasn't around. That's interesting. Oh, so the, uh, so but, the the but, laughs the laughs were his well, suggestion. He wasn't, even, he wasn't even around when I did that. Ah, right. Okay. And, so and, there you and go. then he saw it. And then he saw it. And he said, "Don't laugh like that anymore. Give me an everyday killer smile." And I did. He goes, "Good. Do it thirty more times like that." And ends up using all the laughter that that yeah. he told me was not any good to begin with. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, the laughs were some of the best part of the dialogue. It almost they, they really wanted me to be part of that weapon you know and yeah. uh, i shot six thousand rounds that day for that one weapon that's a lot of rounds and and the bouncing of it almost became like my laugh <laughs> <laughs> you know almost my laugh blended in with the, the bouncing of the machine gun so i'm kind of glad he let me shoot that much and uh it was an interesting it was interesting acting with two actors that weren't in the same scene with you that they're not even there and I thought this is the way you you do movies you know this is yeah. a strange way to do it so it kind of wasn't easy but it sure did he edited it it came out a lot better than I think any he didn't know what to do with that scene he tried to cut that scene out a couple of times and it's right in the very middle of the movie the movie starts at nine I come right on at ten in the middle of the movie and it's, Perfect. it's, an, it's an interesting there's not a lot of laughter in that movie and for some reason people laugh at me doing what I'm doing and I'm shooting women and children. So, you know, right. one of the things I try to teach, if you're an actor, even if you're a bad guy, you want to be a likable bad guy. And he was pretty likable. Oh, yeah. A absolutely. Yeah. Mission accomplished there. So, now, uh, you know, military films have played such a huge role in the movie industry over the years. Uh, you know, it, it's no mystery that some of the greatest military films have been, you know, amazing recruiting tools for the military. You know, think about how many how many people joined the military because they were inspired by uh, an amazing military film. You, you know, you know, I've heard a lot about 
people tell me that a lot of people have told me I joined the Marines because of that role of you in Full Metal Jacket. I've had a lot of people tell me that, which is interesting, very interesting. Um, you know, it's too bad that I, the script I have right now, The Birth of Pride, I took it to the Marine Corps in 1982 when I first gave it to them, and they immediately said, we cannot condone this. We, we, don't want, to we want to teach through leadership and not intimidation. And at that time, they were intimidating every minute of the day, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they would do it now. I might go back to them now. But w when you independently film, you, you, the Marine Corps has nothing to do with you doing a film. You can do any kind of film you want. But I'd love to have the Marine Corps to get behind my film because I think it would inspire. There hasn't been a, a drill instructor movie in a while, you know. Since oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Urban, what's that one? Uh, Officer and Gentleman. That's so much like my script in so many ways. I had a guy that couldn't get up the rope. He was in boot camp six months just because he couldn't get up the rope. I had a guy, when he got his hair cut, he said, take a little off the sides. He went, what? Give him the bullseye cut. And they cut his head into a bullseye. <laughs> you know, there's some funny stuff that happened yeah. back then that, that they would never get away with now. But at that time, that was the period piece the way it was. And I'm proud to be a Marine. I'm proud I got to go through that. It's, it's an organization that even... The ship are even still respected. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for, for you know? sure. Uh, it's it definitely is a, is a huge thing uh, for like the whole recruiting effort and inspiring the kids. You know, so that that's something that's very vital. And what are your favorite military films overall? Give me your mm. top top five to I ten like, if you'd like. I like Born on the Fourth of July, Apocalypse oh, yeah. Now. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July for some reason just hit me. Felt like a kid. I got you. No, I didn't get you. Next thing you know, you're throwing rocks and hitting each other with them. And I felt like that's kind of the way I grew up. And then being in the Vietnam War, half the country was going, kill those commie bastards. And the other half were going, what the hell are you doing over there? Yeah. It's kind of like we're kind of going through now the turmoil and the, 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 the vision of, of, of America. It's the second time I've ever seen it in my life. And it's sure it's terrible when you're fighting for a country that half of them don't want you to be doing it. You know, yeah, it, so, it's very polarizing today. People are kind of, I mean, there's a lot of division, right? I mean, that, yeah, this, well, this like reminds that you of the Vietnam then, era. Yeah. It's very, that's the way history does repeat itself, you know? And yeah. I'm trying to think of any other great war films that I liked. Um, gosh, there's so many of them. Deer Hunter was great, too. Yeah. Deer Hunter was another one of my favorites. Uh, Platoon's okay, and um, Saving Pri Private Ryan. What's interesting about those movies, you see them once, you really don't care to see them again. The Full Metal Jacket, you can see it over and over and over again, and it never gets boring. It that, never is, does. that is true. It, it, never, it never got its proper due right away. It didn't win any awards or anything. It won a few things. And I don't know if you know this, but Platoon, uh, Oliver Stone called uh, Stanley and said, we both got these war films coming out. Who wants to go first? And Stanley went to the crew and says, what do you guys think? And they said, let Platoon go first. And that was probably a mistake because that was the first heavy, authentic war film that came out in a long time. And then Full Metal Jacket came afterwards. Yeah, Platoon, I remember uh, it was hard to, probably not a dry eye when you came out of that movie, right? Yeah. Platoon, I remember, I think I was probably like maybe 10 or 11 when that came out or whatever. I remember family members that went to see it. They were really, really moved by it. It was powerful. Yeah. Uh, you know the the content is is so so powerful right. and getting getting back to um you know there not being a drill instructor film in a while when I mean, you talked about the comedy because 
I mean, is there anything funnier than a drill instructor when they, they really get wound up? I mean, some of the greatest oh, lines of all time. I mean, I remember a drill instructor telling us that he wasn't going to go out to the grenade range with us because 90% of us had the athletic, athletic ability of Richard fucking Simmons. <laughs> uh, yeah, the they do have they some great say. lines. Yeah, the, the thing is funny is you don't know when you're allowed to laugh or not either. Oh, yeah. You're not, you're, you're, sometimes they let you laugh and sometimes they don't want you laughing. You know, well, they, <laughs> a lot well, of they, times. They pin you in a corner too, right? Oh, is drill instructor funny? Am I a clown? No, sir, oh, you're not yeah. funny. Oh, I'm not funny. So it, what are you supposed to do? You just sit there and nod your head, my, right? My favorite line when I got out of, uh, right off of the truck to go to boot camp, he grabbed me by the throat and said, do you like me? I went, sir, yes, sir. Went, liking me leads to loving me. And loving me leads to fucking me. The motherfucker, you don't want to fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, man. That's in my screenplay. I got some real good stuff in my, in my screenplay that's so true. You know, he had two minutes to eat, and he, I had my elbow on the table, and he threw a jelly patty at me and hit the guy next to me in the head. And then he threw another jelly and hit him in the head again. And he stood up and threw another one, hit him right in, the, right in the nose. And he came around the corner, and I got out of the way so he could beat him up. And he smashed my head down on the silver tray and went, get your goddamn elbow off my table, you hear me, boy? <laughs> he missed he missed me three times. I had no idea I did anything wrong. And then next time my face is going, throw, throw. I can't hear <laughs> And beans and corn are flying up in my face. And this other guy, I wonder what he must have been thinking the whole time. He got beaned three times. Oh God, there's some funny stuff that happens. Oh, the the chow hall, man. The tales of the chow hall, right? They'd say yeah, yeah. you get twenty minutes from the shortest guy. Bullshit. Right? It's how it's so funny how Every Marine that's ever been a Marine relates to all these stories we're talking about, whether it's 1940 or 2040, it'll be the same old thing. Yeah. It's same, whether it's exactly the same. I used to hear when I was in the Marines, Joe, oh, you're lucky you're not in the old Corps. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure you hear that, oh, you're lucky you're not in the old Corps. But I'll tell you, when I was in during the Vietnam War, since we were all going to Vietnam and we all did, uh, they were pretty tough on us to make sure we were going to come back alive and according to their mind oh yeah you know? yeah and, and there's i mean there are some things that change i mean because when you when you went in i mean drill, drill instructors would probably could give you a shot to the face right could oh they, they got their knuckles they hit you in the solar plex all the time knock the wind out of you and thump you make you get on your hands and knees on your forehead with your hands behind your back on the street yeah you come up your head your forehead looks like hamburger meat you know it does <laughs> And they're not drawing any blood, but they're, they're messing with you, you know. And it, it, There's something about it, though. There's something about it. I'm so proud I'm a Marine, so proud I did what I did. I mean, it, it changed my life completely. And that's what I say. I would have never gotten Full Metal Jacket if I wouldn't have been a Marine. Never. Oh, yeah, the authenticity of you serving and being able to bring that to the role. Because think about it. I mean, it's one of those things where if I could have a beer with my drill instructors now, I would jump at the chance right away. Like they just, yeah, they really leave an imprint on you. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, I can still remember their names. I can remember what they look like. I mean, I remember half of the the things that they, you know, would come up with and the you, different you know, ways that they would mentally back, screw with you. You know. Nowadays, I don't. Smoking is a bad habit, and most people know that, and they don't smoke. But back in uh, when I was in boot camp '69, I didn't smoke cigarettes. But to those that did, it was a reward if we did something good. He said, "This he'd say, you know, you did a good job today. Cigarette lamp and his lip for one cigarette. 
We go, sir, the cigarette lamp is lit for one cigarette and one cigarette only. Sir, caution, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. We don't give a damn. We're going to Vietnam. Kill. Every time we had to say that. Every right? time. Who gives a yeah. shit about a smoke when you're going to Vietnam, right? We don't give a damn. We're going to Vietnam. That's what he said. <laughs> and, you know, if you have to be, no matter what training you are, if you're a powerful, strong, whatever, guide or whatever you are, if you can't shoot the weapon, they tell you you're not a good Marine. And they say yeah. if you're a non-qual, we're going to see those mountains up there. We're going to bury up in those mountains and tell your parents <laughs> you went AWOL. And I believed them. <laughs> right. You know. Like the Spartans, if you were born with something wrong with you, they toss you off a cliff, right? You can't, yeah. you can't be a warrior. Yeah. Hey, this little bastard's no good. Toss him over the cliff. Brutal, man. I remember, I remember the first time I raised my arm and they said, anybody have any questions? I go, sir, with this private B, uh, he's never shot a weapon in his life without being negative. Negative. You don't have any bad habits yet. You'll be fine, right? <laughs> so the first day, we shoot and we make our own uh, – like scoring your golf course. Nobody's around. You can cheat all you want or whatever. But I, it was my first time I ever shot. I shot a marksman the first time, and I ended up shooting sharpshooter and just missed expert. But at the very first day, he goes, all right, all non-quals and non-marksmen over here, all sharpshooters and experts over here. On the way back, I went to sharpshooters and experts to whistle the Marine Corps hymn. On the way behind them, 20 yards, I went to you guys sucking your thumb and going, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. <laughs> If you see that scene, he's, they're and beautifully marching, and right behind him, I'm crazy. I'll never forget that I had to be that guy. It's like we had M14s, you know, and there was a gas cylinder on the gas thing that had to have oil, or mechanically the, the, the weapon wouldn't work. And it says, make sure you keep grease on it all the time. In small parentheses, it says, except for rifle inspection or except for inspection. And those guys who didn't read that little thing when you're being rifle inspection, they open it up and they start putting black grease on your cheek and on oh. your nose. And you look, <laughs> you look like a clown when you get home. You got black stuff all over your face. And it's, it's funny. There's like five of us. I was one of them too. Uh, some, of the, some of the greatest one-liners. I mean. That's why he got the role. You know what? That's yeah. why he got the role of the drone instructor. They loved his one-liners. And that's yeah. what got him the role. And he knew them because he'd been around a lot longer. And they didn't let me improv. There was a couple times I wanted to get off the dialogue. They wouldn't let me do it. Well, just think about all the different words they use for things, you know? I mean, your mouth. I mean, soup cooler. Your hand. <laughs> get your dick beaters in the air. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what's some of the funniest lines I ever we had this gunny in iraq and he was like born again hard you know and his yeah. name was gunny hammer like <laughs> it was his real name but spelled h-a-m-o-r right yeah and he would always come up and side eye you and be like come up with some shit in the morning to kind of just bullshit with you and he'd say clor do you know what the gunny has for breakfast <laughs> like no gunny I, you know Wheaties at a breakfast of champions? No, wrong. Copenhagen with a side of pussy. <laughs> I said, it sounds like a nutritious breakfast guy. <laughs> and then he'd smile and his dip and shit. But <laughs> I mean, you can't even make these guys up, right? No, they're great. They're I mean, great. So, the thing that, that people don't really realize is they're not, 
in the movie industry, they always cast them to be old. And they're not oh, yeah. old. They're no. young. They have to be, I think, over 21, and they have to be uh, uh, overseas once is the only rules. But most of them are in great shape and not old. And in my screenplay, I show the three of them. We had three drill instructors. In movies, they show one, you know? Oh, yeah. There's, no, yeah. there's three. There's three of them. And you need three of them to have a couple of days off. And you have the one that's, this, you know, he's coming back. He's the scariest of the three. The kill, the know? kill hat, right? They call him the kill yeah. hat, I believe. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because, yeah. Concept. Yeah, think about, you know, you got, your, you got your dad. They call the senior drill instructor's dad, right? He's, he's the guy that's supposed to kind of call off the dogs once in a while. He might yeah. be the ni nicest drill instructor, but he's still a prick, right. right? Right, 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 right. Then, I mean, then you kind of have the two guys that are, I don't know if they're supposed to kind of be center of the road. Then you got the kill hat, you know? I mean, <laughs> the most ferocious drill instructor we had was like a fucking chihuahua, man. He'd like bark the <laughs> loudest, and he was like five, <laughs> five, five, you know? And I mean, then we had one that looked like Jim Carrey on steroids. He'd, yeah. take off, he'd take off his cover and his belt and be like, drill instructor, we'll gladly give up 10 years in the car to fuck you up in the tree line. And he'd take his shit off, any takers, any comers. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's too much, man. He definitely oh, looked like funny. Jim Carrey on Juice. So I, and then you start laughing, and then you're getting shit. You know, I was always yeah. smiling and laughing because the com I mean, the things they would say, I'm like, how the hell do you expect us not to laugh our ass off at this? I mean, you know, they couldn't even help it once one. in a while. You know, you're not supposed to get anything in, in the mail to be port pornographic or a knife or oh, yeah. whatever. So I one time got a piece of double mint chewing gum. He made me eat the whole thing with the wrapper and everything on it. But this one guy, he got a box. And we all were wondering, hoping it's not ours, you know. And he goes, well, let's see who it is. Linda Decker, who's that? Well, sure, the private sex girlfriend, sir. And he opens up and goes, what do we got in here? Popcorn ball, a mad magazine for his educational purposes. What do we have here? Army men? She sent you a package of army men? Well, you'll have plenty of time to play with your goodies later on. That night I had to take a pee, and all of a sudden I heard this. <laughs> and I looked over, and he was underneath the drill instructor's house, and he had all these army men in the sand. And the drill instructor goes, I can't hear you. And he goes, <laughs> He had to play all night long. He didn't go to sleep. He was playing the whole night long. Oh, man. How about when they, I mean, they'd make you stand in the corner and say the same damn line over and over. I've been a bad boy, sir. I've been a bad boy, sir. I've been a bad boy, sir. By the time you're done with it, sir, Ben, bad boy, sir, Ben, bad boy, sir. Sir, Ben, bad. You know, you start freaking, like if you were a, a freaking robot, you'd just be starting to, you know. Here's a whack one. This wasn't happening, but I heard this story. I think it's pretty funny me about when I would what they would do in my boot camp. They had these two twins, and one of them screwed up, so they buried him in sand. And they buried him all the way in the sand, and they put a piece of paper over his face, and then sprinkled sand over the paper so he could still breathe, but you couldn't see him at all. And he took a shovel to his neck and went, should I kill him, should I kill him? And everyone was going, sir, yes, sir. And all of a sudden, his brother's going, sir, no, sir, sir, no, sir. <laughs> goes, you want to help your brother? He goes, sir, yes, sir. All right, get in there, dig him out. They dug his brother out. Dug him in there, put sand on him, put the paper, put sand over his face. His brother was so screwed up from being underneath there. He goes, should I kill him? Should I kill him? His brother just came out and goes, show yes, sir. Show yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. They, got, they got more games than Milton freaking Bradley, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's, they, 
it's the only organization that has so much pride, you know. And, uh, oh yeah. You, when you say you're a Semper Fi to somebody, and you know he's a Marine, you automatically respect and like him. Maybe not forever, and maybe you'll be a dick after a while. But at least you got that initial. He's a Marine. You immediately like him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If uh, one Marine walks up to another one, it's kind of like almost like family. It's yours to lose, right? I mean, yeah. You kind of start out at a. Uh, at a level of respect that you can either uh, improve upon and make greater or lose it, you know? So it's, uh, it's definitely uh, the pride and the brotherhood. Well, think about if you walk by a recruiting station, the army, Hey, we'll give you a $30,000 uh, bonus. The Navy, you'll, you'll travel the world, give you a 30 K the air force. You're going to have the nicest shit in the military, the Marine Corps. What do you guys got to offer? You ain't getting uh-huh. shit. You get the title Marine. In fact, yeah. I don't even know if I want you in my beloved core, you know, <laughs> they pull, they pull the takeaway. I don't even know if I'm going to put you in. You're not worthy yeah. of being in this brotherhood. Well, right. how about bonus money? You ain't getting shit. You get to wear the uh, uniform. Money, right? money. So oh, think about funny. that. You know, I mean, it's, it, that's the thing. You <clears> know, so, I have a, I have a brother that, uh, when he was 15 years younger than me, he went in the Marine Corps as a helicopter mechanic and then became a jet mechanic. My older brother went in the Marine Corps as an officer. He was in the FBI when he got out for 20 years and retired. So I got five boys in my family, and three of them are Marines, and I was the first to join. And it wasn't like I said, hey, man, go join the Marines. And I don't know why it happened that way. We're, we're, we're like patriotic Marine guys. It just happened to be that work. And the thing yeah. I didn't like about the Marines is that people at that time, maybe still, I didn't want to be known as a killer or a rapist. I just wanted to be a Marine. You right, I mean? yeah. I didn't like that part. They assumed because you're a Marine that you might be a rapist and love to kill and you're a killer. And that's far from it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was especially during the, uh, the Vietnam era, right? You guys were coming home. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the things, <clears throat> the treatment that the Vietnam veterans received compared to the treatment today. And that, that's one of the things that I've noticed from the East to the West is the way veterans are treated today from the public is, so much, so much better. I, you know, it's uh, people I think really extend and, and show the respect and thanks to veterans today. I mean, there's so many different programs for veterans. I think we're improving on that yeah, front. Are. I think so. I think yeah. we are. And we got the Marine Corps birthday coming up. We got Veterans Day coming up. You know, semper fi to all you Marines and uh, bless yeah. all those who serve our country. For you know, we got the greatest country in the world. And let's unite again. Let's get together. Let's be loving kind to one another but when you have to kick some ass we can do it absolutely i mean it's time to come together and and cut down on that division that's no good for for our country at all so you know hopefully hopefully we can remember that tough times you know 9-11 came three days later we were all together powerfully united and it was over with right this thing this pandemic is uh has been around too long you know yeah, time to get the world moving again. Let's start a, let's have some fun. Absolutely, we have, it, we have to fight it, but don't let it don't let it scare you. Don't let it don't fear it. Let's right. just beat it when it comes. That's right. I mean, we, we got to get back to life as soon right. as possible. So, well, I tell you what, brother, it's been a it's been a pleasure, and I really appreciate Always. you coming on. Thanks, Dan. Always great to see you guys. You know, uh, keep in touch. I'll let you know what's going on. And uh, while I'm in town, let's hook up. Yeah, a- uh, absolutely. We'll definitely yeah. put that together. So uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you want to tell the people, uh, you know, where they can find you, or we talked oh, yeah, a little bit yeah. about what you have coming up. Why don't you tell the people what you're going to be up to here immediately, or how to get a hold of you, or yeah, anyone's interested a, in booking you? Uh, yeah, I've actually got a website for the first time ever. I got this woman kind of getting my life together. I got new headshots. I got a new manager. There new you agent. go. If you go to my website, timcolsary.com, you can see those uh, articles that are up with Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Cinema Tyler did something with what I went through with Stanley Kubrick. And they put a visual to it. It's really done well. You'll see a lot of Stanley Kubrick and Lee Ermey and how he got the role and what I went through. And it's really done well. Uh, also, my some of my demo tapes are on there. I'm up for a, a role that's called um, Drug... I forgot the name of the damn thing. Anyway, it's, it's going to be shot in West Virginia. Michael Keaton's involved. Dope sick. Yeah. About Oxycontin. Uh, it's the Oxycontin. Uh, there's a pharmaceutical company made so much money. Then they got sued for it. He's dead now. But I'm playing a real live human being that was a, a big wealthy um, in charge of everybody. You, you know, kind of a dick. But not, not yelling dick. Really intensive. You know, lawyers, I have uh, butlers, and it's not the normal role. It's not like a door going to roll. Completely opposite, really. It's hard so, for me to, to memorize the dialogue because the dialogue is not the way I, I speak. I can speak like a door gunner or like a cop. Sure. Because you feel like the, you're that guy, but this character is nothing like me. But I did a pretty good job. We'll see if I get cast. If not, uh, you know, I got some other things going on. Uh, I just got the call. I did to call him back for um, the Michael Bay film. Uh, ambulance is coming out and that's a really good script there's a couple of good cop roles i'm trying to see if i can get in to see they'll see me uh i play those roles all the time they're easy the one that's hard for me is kind of fun for me because it's different you know it's sure the challenge is stepping outside the box right i also get tired of yelling all the time (laughs) i guess i'm good at yelling you know or getting intense uh you know i'd like to Use my, I call it my, my resin voice. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, brother, you have energy for days, man. I was just really impressed. You were ha- hanging with us on that Marine Corps ball. We had a great time. Remember all the shots? Yeah, we did. All the shots they were sending up we on had stage? A ball. There were people who were fun there. We had a good group of guys there, good, good women too, you know, families. Yeah. It was fun. It was, uh, did you get a good response on that? Did everybody like it? Oh, yeah, it? absolutely. Every, everyone did. I mean, it, we got a lot of good feedback and people enjoyed your, your show. And I mean, that was a beautiful. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell people real quick how uh, Tim and I met actually through a, uh, one of Tim's students is a good friend of mine, Shane Nicholson, uh, one of your students there. And Oh yeah. Shane's great. Shane's Marine. Yeah, absolutely. Shane, Shane's a good dude. Uh, the only problem with Shane, he's a, he's a Chiefs fan, like producer Don here. Is that right? Yeah. I'll oh, get that shit out of here. You just read the video. <laughs> They're going to be tough again. Get that shit too. out of here. You put, yeah. Anyone can see that uh, American Warrior is a, is a Raider organization here. But uh, They're going to be tough, too. They're playing this year also, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're looking all right, man. I mean, they are. you know what? We stand, stand at four and three, and they've been pretty competitive. They did beat the Chiefs this year. Yeah, they so, did, didn't they? But yeah, we, we asked Tim to come up and um, do a uh, 
one-man show at our American Warrior Festival, the Music and Film Fest in Los Angeles. And we had some bands playing, including Weapon X and uh, some films from local uh, Los Angeles filmmakers. It was a Marine Corps birthday. So we had a bunch of friends that served, <clears throat> we served with in Iraq. So we did the cake ceremony. Remember the cake ceremony? The keg, yeah, absolutely. Oh, the oh the cake the cake ceremony. Yeah. I thought you said the yeah. keg ceremony. I'm like, well, oh, the cake. The, the, you know what? I, I didn't know it was me and Leo. Well, thank God Leo was there. He knew the proper ceremony. There was a lot of we had to do some rehearsing. Remember in the back, real quick. Oh yeah. Well, I remember there were some Marines like shit, man. We didn't want to do the the standard operating procedure one. This shit takes too long. Put the guy with a knife in the cake and let's go, right? You know, get the oldest funny. Marine and the youngest Marine, cut the goddamn cake, and let's rock. Oh, but uh, no, he, he did a good job of keeping the traditions the way that they should be. And He had a ball, too. He's really – he's such a stud Marine. He's still in the Marine. I think he's got one more year he might be getting out. He's been there 40 – I don't know. He's been there – he's had five tours. Holy five. shit. Wow. He's first sergeant now in, in Vegas. His groups are now in Vegas. Really? His grunts, his grunts were in Vegas, and – it was 115 degrees this oh. summer. They had to stop three times and not go out. It was that hot. Oh, man. That's no fun. No. Uh, but, yeah, he loved it. And uh, much to know, the next time you have one, I want to get both of us to jump in there again with you. Okay. Well, I tell you what, that sounds like a plan. And, shit, man, I wish I knew you were in Tustin. You thought I was in New York. I thought you were in yeah. Vegas. Oh, that's funny. I, I guess I could have sent you a message. I knew you come out here. I just didn't, didn't well, know that. Yeah, unbelievable. But anyways, we, we made the best of it and, he, you know, and had a great time tonight. And I appreciate cool. you coming on, and we'll be in touch, and we'll get that beer soon. Okay. See you, Dan. See you, Don. See everybody. Thanks a lot. All right, buddy. You All take up. care. Bye-bye. The American Warrior Festival Podcast brought to you by Oliver's Candies, the creator of the American Warrior Festival Candy Bar. Oliver's Candies is proud to offer you the largest selection of award-winning chocolates made in Western New York. Visit them online at oliverscandies.com. What's going on, everybody? Don T. Penny here. Just wanted to take a minute to thank our fellow Patreon supporters and let you know that if you wanted to become a fellow supporter of our podcast, all you got to do is click on the link below that is in your show notes. Or if you're listening to this slash watching the, watching this on YouTube, all you got to do is go to the video description. We will have a link to the Patreon page right there in that description as well. And that will take you to the homepage where you can see the six different options for our Patreon program. Feel free to browse through it, guys. Click on them. See which one best suits you. And any support, any help that you guys would offer us is much appreciated. It helps us put more content out for you and push this podcast uh, to that next level. Once again, guys, thank you for all your support. We're going to continue to do our job. You guys have a great rest of your day. We're out. The American Warrior Festival podcast is brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Oliver's Candies, Smoking Eagle Barbecue and Brew, The Firing Pit, Orcon Industries, Ken Barrett Chevrolet Cadillac, TF Browns, One LLP, Batavia Legal Printing, Gun Track App, and Amerahome Healthcare. This is Candy. 
You're listening to the American Warrior Festival. Okay.